Hello, everyone. Welcome to American Girls, the podcast. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary, and we are so, so excited to bring you an interview on this episode with a very special guest. On this episode, we get a chance to talk with Colette Denali Montoya Sloan. She is a member of the Pueblo of Isleta and a descendant of the Pueblo of San Felipe and an all-star librarian archivist working in New York City at, among other places, the Lesbian Her Story Archives, where she works on spoken word and audio projects. Um, She is also a proud member of the Indigenous Kinship Collective, and as you'll hear on this episode, she brings a really wonderful perspective to our readings of the Kaya books. She has a lot of great um, queer reads of the Kaya series and a lot of great insight to bring to, you know, this real ride we've all been on together. It's also important for us to note that she is pretty famous on Instagram. You may already be familiar with her work. She is the creator of the at Inky Marina, I-N-K-Y-M-A-R-I-N-A Instagram account where you can see her dolls um, traveling truly all over the world and visiting all kinds of amazing sites with all kinds of incredible fashions. So please check out and support her work on Instagram. And without further ado, it's our pleasure to bring you our conversation with Colette. We're so, so excited to have you on our show. And we're so excited to kind of hear your experiences with the fandom and with American Girl. So just before we get into anything, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I've been listening for a while. I have to say I started with the Josefina episodes, like out of order, because I'm from yeah. New Mexico. And um, we have Josefina and I have the same last name. Oh, that's so iconic. I mean, how do you even, how do you feel about that? Well, when I go to the store and I give my rewards account information at American Girl Place, they're like, oh, like Josefina. <gasps> Celeb status. I know. It's fun. Do you get a discount? Honestly, I feel like you deserve a discount of some kind. Sadly, no. Sadly. Wow. Like if you go in there and you say, my last name is Parkington, like they should actually tax you probably more <laughs> just to like redistribute something, but you deserve a discount. I mean, for everything Josefina went through, my God. Seriously. It's tough, tough stuff. Well, I don't even know where to begin. There's so many things we want to ask you, Allison. Do you have a question that you want to start with? Yeah. So we met Colette, like we've met, I think a lot of our really fantastic guests guests through social media. And so we actually first connected with you online. And part of where I think you've been super helpful is from the beginning, you gave us some information about how to think about Kaya, right. And how to think about the Nez purse. And so I'm wondering if you can give our listeners, it's also just so helpful to hear from you as a person who had a different relationship with Kaya, what that's like right? So kind of, there is also a Kaya in the room, you know, sometimes there's an elephant in the room today. There's a Kaya in the room. So my gosh, there she is. Your relationship is, is up and close for the purpose of the visual of this podcast, but it was just wonderful to hear that you had kind of a longstanding one with Kaya. So if you could talk about that. Yeah. When I was a kid, I lived in Wisconsin. So almost everyone I knew had an American girl doll. And I was always really left out because my parents were like, no, no, like we're really encouraging indigenous representation. Um, so, and they also thought I would outgrow the dolls really quickly. And now my mom really rue saying that 
uh, she's like, my sister's like, you should have just bought her the doll. <laughs> so now I'm almost 40 and I still have all my dolls. Respect. Um, thank you. But um, let's see, Kaya. I first wrote a letter to American Girl when I was about eight asking for an ancestral Pueblo doll. Um, I went to Mesa Verde and Chaco Canyon a lot as a kid, which are ancestral Pueblo sites. And I just thought it would be so cool to have a Pueblo doll. Uh, that never happened. We did get a Pueblo character in Josefina's book. Happy birthday, Josefina. But Kaya came out when I was already in college. I was working at Borders. And so I got to see, read the books early because, you know, they came in the boxes and like they say, like, don't open them. But since Borders is now defunct, I think it's safe to say that. <laughs> R.I.P. Borders. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I still have my original Kaya books. And then my brother-in-law gave me this, like, fancy Kaya Ooh. with the gilded edges. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Um, so when Kaya came out, I was really excited. I was a little like, Oh, why did they get Janet Shaw? I mean, I love the Kirsten books when I was a kid, but even at that time I was like, why didn't they have an indigenous author do this? Um, but I got Kaya. She's right here. She's pretty old. She's had a haircut because her hair like got pretty messed up. And also like my made mine modern. My Kaya's name is Katiri, and the other doll next to her is my blue-haired Kaya, Aben. So I've been a collector most of my life, but almost all my dolls are indigenous at this point. I've sold off all the ones that aren't. Very cool. I'm wondering if you could take us back and maybe speak a little bit about your experiences as that eight-year-old girl writing a letter to American girls. So maybe what is your sort of experience as an indigenous person growing up, perhaps with not a lot of representation in what you're reading or the toys you can buy or the dolls you can buy, certainly. And so like, what was your interaction with American Girl previous to that? And kind of like, what was that landscape for you? Well, I first encountered American Girl at a Pizza Hut. In 1988, they had oh this God. like box of giveaway books for Book It. Uh, so if anyone else remembers Book It. Of course, iconic. That was for listeners who are Gen Z, I guess, and don't have the benefit of that program. Wasn't this the program that you could do through school and you would get like a small Pizza Hut pizza if you read enough books or something? personal pan pizza. Yes. Excuse me. Sorry. I I'm showing my, I didn't ha have access to that program. I'm still upset about it. I'm someday I'll get over it. That day is not today, but I didn't have access to that. So through Catholic school, thanks again. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy that you did. Yeah. Well, I found this like happy birthday, Samantha, uh, copy and I loved it. Um, I remember really liking the twins and being really confused about the long underwear. But in the back of it, of course, they had the thing that you could send away, the little coupon to send away for the catalog. And I became obsessed. My mom used to take me to Walden Books after we went grocery shopping and I could get one book if I was like well-behaved. And um, eventually I graduated. She knew I was going to be well-behaved. So she would get me a book at Walden Books before we were grocery shopping. And I just sit in the cart and read the books. Smart but move. <laughs> but I was really, really afraid of tornadoes as a kid, like incredibly afraid of tornadoes in second and third grade. I missed about half of the spring period because every time it was cloudy, I'd be convinced there'd be a tornado. Wow. So it was really kind of, um, ridiculous in retrospect because I didn't tell anybody this. So people just thought I just like, didn't like school. 
And at this time I was reading the Kirsten books and I was really strongly affected by, I think it's her birthday book where they end up in the root cellar. Mm -hmm. And um, so I decided to read the rest of her books. I didn't read them in order um, because I would just grab what was ever at Walden books, which is also kind of a throwback bookstore reference. I love all your um, throwback book references. But Singing Bird really distressed me as a kid because when we would play American Girl games with the kids in my class, like they would always make me be Singing Bird. And this reminded me of an incident when I was in first grade where my teacher had everybody make a pilgrim hat for Thanksgiving out of construction paper. And I wasn't allowed to. I had to make an Indian vest out of a paper bag. Oh my God. So I had all these like experiences that now like I would think of as like microaggressive or and outright racist. But as a child, I didn't even really tell my parents about them because they just seemed so normal. So it sounds like your parents too wanted to find those outlets for you. Were there books that you read that had the representation that they wanted and kind of the stories you were craving? Not really. I mean, I remember their the Tommy De Paula, Tommy De Paula books, like Legend of the Blue Bonnet and the Indian Paintbrush. I remember liking those. I haven't revisited them as an adult, um, but most of the indigenous books I had as a kid were pretty terrible mm. and people would always give them to me. And my parents were not really the type to um, screen the things I read. They're both professors and, you know, they, some things they would give me that they were nostalgic about, but other things they were just like, oh yeah, you know, just read this. So I, I remember Island of the Blue Dolphins and Sing Down the Moon, like Scott O'Dell at the time, like I enjoyed them. But then even when I was slightly older, like middle school, I remember feeling horrified that I had read them and enjoyed them as an elementary schooler. So it was amid all this like negative representation or not really negative, just more like boring <laughs> representation. Nothing was really unique about them that, that Kaya came out in the middle of me working at Borders. Um, and I was listening to a bunch of songs from that time period to try and like think about the mindset I was in. And the references that you two had for that time period are very different than mine. So I was listening to like Tegan and Sarah and La Tigra and Slater King. I'm right there with you. I get it. I mean, the Kathleen Hanna of it all, like the Tegan and Sarah of it all. <sighs> Have you also heard Beach Bunny? Because Beach Bunny like did one of their songs and then had Tegan and Sarah just cover it recently. And no. it's like that takes every time I hear their harmonies, it just takes me to a place. I don't know about you, but thank you for bringing those references in. All to say, thank you for bringing those in. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was just funny, a funny time. Oh, Scarlet's Walk by Tori Amos came out around the same time. Oh my God. As yes. Kaya. So I'm lucky that because I was working at Borders at the time Kaya came out, I have these very like specific memories of what we would put on the CD player to play in the store. Like, and we played Nora play... Jones. <laughs> I was going to say my memory of like a Borders or even Barnes and Noble now is like, they kind of play teen stuff like, like Nora Jones, no shade to Nora Jones, like very talented, whatever. But I mean, were you dropping Tori Amos on people at Borders? Yeah. What? I mean, we definitely didn't play La Tigra. That would be oh, more of after hours shelving time. <laughs> but we played T some Tegan and Sarah. I mean, they didn't have, they had like a list of approved things that you were supposed to play. But you could go outside of that if they weren't around, basically. Yeah. I mean, like if the managers were into it, I wasn't doing any kind of like upper level anything at the time. So it was like, what? Respect. I feel like you were working at Empire Records, but it was like a Borders 
That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> it felt like it sometimes. I remember making a lot of, I was really into Buffy at the time and it was the last season of Buffy, I believe. And I used to make displays that reference different pop culture references from the previous week's Buffy episode. And then I'd get in trouble for it. So not in Why? trouble, but, but they were, they're saying like, these are not approved, like displays. They don't make sense. There's no oh like God. thematic linkage. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like if you watch last week's Buffy, you would know that David Brinkley was in Once More With Feeling referenced in the Anya and Xander song. So, well, and you know what? Now Borders is closed. So they got what they wanted. They shut you down and now they're gone. R.I.P. <laughs> Quick aside, have you seen the punk singer, the Kathleen Hanna documentary? I'm not, I'm, this is going to like send Allison, so I'm not going to go into this, but that is one of my pet interests. If anyone has seen it out there, it is one of the wildest documentaries I've ever seen. I haven't seen it, which is kind of sad, but because of where I work, we get a lot of, you know, queer women themed media. So I have the opportunity to watch, but I'm just like overwhelmed by all of it. It's fair. I think you kind of need a, a solid block of like three hours and I'm building in an hour of recovery time from watching this documentary. And all to say it's Kathleen Hanna telling the story of her life, including Latigue. And she makes a decision that there will be no men appearing as talking heads in the story of her life, except her husband. Like wow. she makes these weird rules, but at the same, and the third act's all about Lyme disease. Anyway, I don't have time to get into it. It's amazing. It's like performance art itself. I highly recommend it if that music is meaningful to you. It will it will make you think things and it will make you feel things. And you should email me after you watch it. I will, yeah. The, one of the theme songs of this period of my life I'm now remembering is VGI from Julie, by the Julie Ruin, which is Kathleen Hannah's project. I love the line, like, I'm a philosopher and like I wear a scrunchie. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I love that energy. Yes. Okay. There's a great story in that documentary about how that band got formed. So you definitely need to, you definitely need to watch this. Kathleen Hannah's just like insane and just says stuff like I followed her. I chased her around New York city until I found her. And then I made her form a band with me. And it's like, who does this? And it's her question mark. It's, it's actually kind of funny because at that time I was really ambivalent about Kathleen Hannah but it's still part of the soundtrack of that period of my life. It's hard if you grow up making zines and stuff because she kind of enters into it because of a lot of like the Riot Girl stuff that got circulated, at least the stuff I saw. So I too have like very complicated feelings about her, but that's why I like that documentary because it's sort of like her playing with her own representation and trying to like pass off all these different narratives about herself. It's, in, it's So it's not like you're a big fan or not. It's like, it's just interesting to see. That's all I'll say, but I like mm -hmm. life writing. So that's why I'm like into it. Hey everyone. I want to just take a quick second and tell you a little bit about our sponsor, HelloFresh. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes or less. You can try HelloFresh's quick and easy meals, 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and more easy options perfect for your busy lifestyle. Maybe you're being forced back to your office. I don't even want to think about that. Maybe you have, I don't know, you've just had enough and you don't want to cook. Been there, done that. HelloFresh is a truly great solution. When I'm at home, I have to say in my own history, you know, do I love Julia Child? Yes. Do I want to be her? No. Um, when I first met Anna and I wanted to 
you know, impress her. I was kind of offering her dinners, you know, for my family history, my recipes. Maybe you've heard of a little something called Fruit Loops. Needless to say, she wasn't super feeling it. So I've had to up my game and HelloFresh has certainly helped me do that. It's something we enjoy making together. And I know I've already pumped up the cheeseburgers with the mushrooms, but they're truly excellent and my favorite thing that HelloFresh offers. So if you want to check it out, go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls14 and use code AmericanGirls14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls14 and use code AmericanGirls14 for up to 14 free meals plus shipping. Speaking of life writing and spinning out multiple narratives, I do want to bring us back to the reason we're here, which is Kaya and of course Mm -hmm. you. So, you know, you're at Borders, you're ripping open these new Kaya books. Where are you at with Kaya upon first meeting? I mean, I remember being like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. Like, am I supposed to like this as an indigenous person or, or am I supposed to like this as an American girl fan? Like, where are my loyalties? Um, it was really yeah. complicated at the time. And I remember just like at first being, when I saw the catalog, I was very excited that they had an indigenous doll that was created with an advisory board. Um, but as I read the books, I think a lot of it seemed kind of melodramatic. I mean, I think American girl books tend to be maudlin, but I don't know. My first meeting with Kaya, I wasn't too impressed. I actually really bonded with Kaya as a character after reading her short story collection, because unlike the other character's short stories, her narrative arc continues through the short stories and she really grows in a beautiful way by the end of those books and through the mysteries. Can you say more about that for those of us who might not have read those yet and might, might might be interested about what they might find there? Feel free to just drop spoilers. We're all we're all adults okay. here. Go for it. Well, I think that in one of them, she actually takes on Swan Circling's name. And uh, that's, you know, it's later in her story. Um, I believe that the short stories come between the two mysteries. I don't remember because I've been rereading the books along with you and didn't reread the short stories because I don't know where I put them. But I remember that writing a review of the books and thinking like, this is incredible. None of the other books, like the other American Girl series really have this like fluid arc the way that Kaya's does. I wonder like in terms of what the planning from the brand perspective was, because I kind of thought reading the books that something they would resolve, or at least we would get to witness is her taking on Swan Circling's name. And we never get that. It's sort of gestured at. Um, So I wonder if like that was planned from the start to kind of allow a space for her to kind of attain some of these, like maybe life cycle transitional moments that kind of add depth to her character, as you said. Yeah, I wonder about that. The first mystery came out, I believe, in fall 2005, um, right when I was taking my Kaya Dalkateri to Ukraine with me. And she and I had a wonderful adventure, but I brought the book with me. And I remember this very clearly because they released a purple and red outfit to go with the mysteries. It was like the American Girl, like Girl of Today mystery outfit. And she was reading, she was, I was reading the book with Kaya on my lap on the plane to Amsterdam. Okay. I was going to say, like, did you think you were just going to subtly drop that you brought Kaya to Ukraine and we weren't going to ask a follow-up question or for more information? Like, I need to know what was this trip? How come Kaya got to go and I didn't? Like, explain. I spent time in high school living in Ukraine. 
And then when I was an undergrad, I was a Ronald McNair scholar and I got funding to go and do my undergraduate thesis research there. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So at that point in my life, like I'd already been taking photos of my dolls through the fandom. And I thought, I've seen other people do these albums where they bring their dolls to like Walmart. Wouldn't it be fun if I brought Kateri to Ukraine? And she has a Ukrainian traditional outfit in addition to Pablo outfits, which is what she's wearing now. Um, I My first doll was actually Josefina. And my family, my grandmother, when she was still alive, made her regalia for our tribe. And all these different women in my family have come together and made different pieces for her. So wow. th- th- that outfit is very special to me. Unfortunately, my Josefina was from my girlfriend at the time. So she's been sold. But the outfit is very special. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. So Hona, Josefina is not in the office. For those of you who don't have the visual, Josefina is truly out. We don't know yeah. her. We don't know her on this <laughs> podcast. She's gone. But yeah, I gave her to someone in the neighborhood. That was nice. So she's living her best life, just not with me. I think it's really beautiful, though, that you have that garment that your grandmother made and other women in your family have come together to make other pieces, like thinking about things that count as historical practice or as kind of text in and of themselves, like to have those, those memories sort of like inscribed in those objects that even maybe when you see them, it makes you feel things or thinks things or remember things like that's so special. Yeah, it is. And I think that kind of, that kind of sentimentality about objects is what led me to become an archivist in the first place. So when did you make that decision? When did you know you wanted to be an archivist? When I was in middle school, I went to this alternative middle school that was for kids who, you know, weren't really succeeding in traditional school structure for whatever reason. And we did projects all the time that were self-led. And I did a project where I made um, subject headings for a National Geographic collection that we had in our classroom. Oh, my God. You did that as a middle schooler? I thought it was so fun. And, um, yeah, wow. it doesn't make any, like, it, there's no surprises that I became a librarian and archivist. <laughs> Are there librarians or archivists in your family? I don't think so. My uncle by marriage is a librarian. Okay. Um, but I feel like my queer family is really my fellow archivist family. So I work at the Lesbian History Archives, which is this, like, really great intergenerational space of professional and non-professional archivists. It's just a really cozy community archive. I was reading through your other colleagues, your queer family members at that archive, their bios in addition to your own. And I was just, I have never been more jealous in my life of a workplace. Everyone is doing, has such cool interests, you know, filmmakers, artists, archivists, all these really like people with such incredible skill sets and interests. It must be such like an empowering or inspiring place to be every day. It's a joy. And actually, I have occasionally had American Girl things delivered there just because New York's postal system is a little special. Um, <laughs> and I have opened dolls, brand new dolls in the archives before, and all of my colleagues and the interns are joyous with me. And so many of the interns also have experience with growing up with American Girl, too. So that's always really fun because mm-hmm. th- we have this magnet of one of my dolls. I'm with an audio coordinator and there is a photo of my doll Inky with Julie's cassette player and, and Audacity on her little laptop digitizing lesbian oral histories. 
Wow. And that photo is on our fridge. And people are always like, what, what do we have this like doll photo of the archives for? <laughs> so then people learn about my obsession with American Girl. That's so cool. It's so funny, but I'm I'm really fortunate to work there and to be able to combine all these like different facets of my identity. That's, yeah, that's amazing. I hope some of our listeners come and check out the archives and maybe kind of explore some of it. Cause we have a lot of listeners who also have a ton of really cool interests and research projects. And I wish more people knew about your archive because you have such really cool collections there. It's so fun. You should, you two should come. Have either of you ever um, been? No. And this is embarrassing. Last night I was like saying to my wife, I can't believe we've never been here and like, don't tell anybody except I will probably tell everybody on this show. <laughs> and you know, she's a librarian and yeah. So we're, it's definitely on our list all to say it's definitely on my list. I, um, I imagine it's like an emotional place for people to go for the first time, like as a queer person, but like in a really empowering way to like see your history reflected and, you know, like not to get too into contemporary events, but there's bills being proposed now in a lot of states to ban the teaching of LGBT history in classrooms or give parents the right to opt their kids out of it. So just to have like a space where people can go and that's not open for debate and it is like the mainstream in that space, like that's so special. It's a joy. We have a group called Little Rainbows. It's a children's reading group, like for toddlers, babies and toddlers Oh my god! at the archives. And I just think that's the coolest thing because that never would have existed when yeah. I was a kid. Wow. Oh God. Okay. I'm trying to hold it together here. I watched an episode. Do you guys know the show making it? So I love no. like crafting. Don't get involved in this, but basically it's a show where like people make crafts and Amy Poehler and Nick, what's his name? Like host it. And like everybody wins. So it's, it's not a show for people who actually like competition and there was a girl on the show who was raised with two moms and basically was like, I was bullied through school for this. And then she made a family portrait of all of them as collage. And I, at the end of it, I was like, oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that sounds like such a special place. So it's really cool. And thank you for sharing kind of your experience of it. Cause that's also special, but I'm wondering when you talk with your colleagues there about American girl, I imagine you all come from different backgrounds does it kind of provide a common language for different experiences you all had growing up or different stories you, different kind of hot takes you had on American Girl? Yes, because we've definitely done those like BuzzFeed quizzes that are like, which American girl are you? <laughs> and then we always debate like which one was the gayest. And we come, we decide that all of them are gay just in their own way. Respect. Yeah. I mean, do you think Kaya is part of that conversation? I definitely think Kaya could be two-spirit. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Because I saw that, um, I know you, you identify as indigo queer and I'm wondering if people who have listened or have not heard that term, but to me, like the two spirit way of knowing is so special. And I feel like if people had access to that knowledge in like other communities, I think it would really open up or diversify how we think about queerness. I think that if Kaya's books had come out at a time, maybe even now, if they're coming out now, they might've had two spirit characters in them. Cause there's no way that Kaya's family group wouldn't have included someone two spirit or multiple people who are two spirited. So two spirited is a kind of umbrella term for people in the LGBT community in an indigenous context. There's more nuance, a lot more nuance to it, but I don't think it's really like appropriate to share outside of indigenous community. So I've always used the term indigiqueer just cause it's kind of jaunty and, I, my community doesn't necessarily use the term two-spirit 
So while I do identify as a two-spirit, I don't always use that term and I typically use indigiqueer instead. It just sounds more fun. Not more fun, but it sounds fun. It does sound fun. Well, thank you for offering that kind of explanation. That's really helpful. I think especially to people who have not maybe encountered it in life to date, but um, yeah, I love thinking about Kaya as part of that conversation um, and that, you know, like you offering that her family would have included someone um, to, who identified as two-spirit or we would think of in that way, perhaps. I mean, is where is Janet Shaw in this conversation? Like, is that something that's lost in having Janet Shaw write these books? I don't know. I mean, because I definitely can see like a much later down the line romance between Singing Bird and Kirsten. I think that would be cute. Um, I've only thought of that like now because as a child, like when I was coming out, was always like, oh, I'm going to have to like, never going to be able to find someone else indigenous. And I also like really thought that I couldn't be native and queer. I thought those things were mutually exclusive just because I had never met someone who had an intersecting identity in that way. Hmm. Was there any pop culture for you that offered that as a model? Or would I don't you think so? How did, when, how and when did you maybe encounter it in the world? Was it meeting someone else who identified mm-hmm. that way? Yeah. The first time I met someone who was native and also queer was in college. Um, And then now I belong to this collective, the Indigenous Kinship Collective, and most of us are queer. And it's the most joyous period of my life because I feel so seen and I see myself reflected in all the other femmes in the group. That's awesome. Do you want to describe a little bit what the collective is for folks that know? The Indigenous Kinship Collective is a group in, in New York City, and it is Indigenous femmes and women. Um, and we do a lot of activism and mutual aid and other education. So we have all kinds of like different things that we do. And everyone in the collective is so incredible. And I'm always feeling like, what am I doing here? Uh, feel a little bit um, like of imposter syndrome sometimes, but everyone's so supportive and it's amazing because I finally feel really uh, truly supported by a community of people who share my identities. And I think that that world is something that we experience pre-contact and I really see that in Kaya's world. Hmm. And I love that. I mean, like obviously the world of Kaya through the eyes of Janet Shaw, there are many flaws. But um, I can totally see Kaya's two-spirit the way that she, in her last book, isn't there, I think there's the part where, what's the, the man's name, the uncle who is approaching with the bead, the red bead, and she's just oh, kind of like, God. oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about you, I'm all about my horse. That's a perennial American girl mood. I don't care about you, I care about my horse. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Allison, do you remember that character's name? I feel like I'm losing it that I can't recall a character from a book I read two weeks ago. I don't. We'll have to pull it up. It's hard because Steps High is just so prominent, right? Yeah. I mean, Steps High gets the middle illustration in the family portraits in multiple books, right? Yeah. And I think it's really, Kaya's books are also really interesting because her family members all get names in, in Nimipu, but that more secondary characters have like names in English. And I think that this character definitely had a name that wasn't English. I think you're right. Yeah. 
Hmm. There's there's a cast of men that are introduced towards the end of the series who are sort of peripheral. And it's interesting because earlier on, we get pretty invested in her relationship with Two Hawks, for example. But then towards the end, there's there's just kind of a lot of people in and out. Yeah, I think um, Kaya's relationship to men in her life is pretty similar to mine as a child. Like, I, And even as an adult, I always thought of them as being like NPCs. Like I've very, very carefully conflict, um, like cultivated a world where I'm mostly interacting with other queer folks. And I think I'm really fortunate to have a professional life where that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet at the same time, white braids, um, who's speaking rain, I guess is going to be living part-time with, although that is never returned to after that book. So we have no idea, I guess, where that ended, unless it's handled in the short stories or the mysteries, which I've, it is. Oh, okay. Well, I'd love to hear more from you on that, but that to me is almost like a, a different, not a queering of family, but kind of an expanded notion of family that Kai actually pushes back on. So that was kind of an interesting moment in the books, but I'd love to hear kind of what where that goes in the short stories. Yeah, I think what happens is that her sister ends up spending half the year with white braids and half the year with Kaya and her family group. Gotcha. So there are definitely times in the short stories where she's with them and times when she's away. Hmm. Yeah, but Kaya doesn't seem to be, I mean, admittedly she's nine years old, but she doesn't seem to be um, accepting the kind of suggested narrative at the end of the series, which is like, oh, here's this boy your age. Perhaps, you know, you will get married like brown deer and cut cheek. You know, like that's you kind of taking your place. She doesn't really, she's kind of like, yeah, I'm not really like thinking about this. Like I'm going to go play with my dog, like steps high is back. Like that's really my focus. So you can kind of read that into the endings of the book too, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I think Kaya is just not there yet. No. And it also seems too like Janet has kind of really inserted a sense of the nuclear family into Kaya's family and world, which also seems interesting and sort of odd. I don't know if you want to like speak to that. Yeah, I can speak to it a little bit. So at least in my community, and I would never claim to speak for any other indigenous community. The way our kinship structures work is that like our godparents, children, other godchildren are our siblings as well. And they become, that family becomes part of your family in a very intimate way. So I don't, and I can't assume that Kaya's family would work in the same way, but I think that in a lot of indigenous communities, the extended family, like every adult woman is an auntie or, you know, it just works that way. Mm -hmm. You don't think of people in, in the same kind of us versus them. All right, everyone. It's really a thrill to get to talk to you for a hot sec about Magic Spoon. Now, recently, one of my really good friends, Tanya, hey, Tanya, Um, dropped into a group text, you know, basically a demand, a call to action for all of us to take a BuzzFeed quiz about what aura we are. I got pink, don't know what that means. However, one of the questions asked, what is your ideal breakfast food? My answer has always been and will always be cereal. And as I've gotten a little older, I at least try to pretend to eat healthy cereal. And Magic Spoon is truly a great option. With zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving, it's only 140 calories a serving. That's never really stopped me, though. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. You can build your own box and get a variety pack with available flavors cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. 
Now listen, I've said this before, but really the key with Magic Spoon is to mix the flavors. That's where you take things to the next level. So I'm reading this list and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I could see an opportunity to put some frosted with some blueberry, really make something special happen here. So I will be seeking out a box of blueberry and if the people at Magic Spoon are listening, please send one to me. Okay, if you want to check this out, go to magicspoon.com slash americangirlspod to grab your delicious cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code americangirlspod at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with an 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. I truly wish every product was like this. It's not. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of cereal at magicspoon.com slash americangirlspod and use the code americangirlspod to save $5 off. Now I'm wondering if you could talk about, because part of your expertise at the archive is related to oral history and storytelling. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the representation of kind of the grandparent connection in the story and particularly the way that Kaya is meant to learn lessons from her grandmother. We've also read some criticism online and kind of how that is portrayed. So I'm wondering as someone who has like all these different pockets of expertise, what it was like for you to actually read those portions of the book. I think it definitely that like wise indigenous grandma is a trope and not always a positive one. I mean, I've never seen Pocahontas all the way through, but I know that her grandmother figure is actually a tree. Um, but also imparts a lot of oh wisdom. <laughs> oh my God, what? Yeah. So Pocahontas came out towards the end of my childhood. I think I was already in high school. Um, but I wasn't really encouraged to see it. So I tried to watch it a few years ago after a friend played one of the songs uh, in karaoke on a cruise as like a joke. So I thought, you know, I should really see what this is all about. And I could not watch the entire thing. But anyway, refocusing to wise grandmother figures, my grandmother really was like that. She was a potter. Uh, she'd, pot, she'd made my cacious pottery in our traditional way. And I used to sit near her and she would tell me stories about our family while she worked. And I think that that transmission of knowledge, intergenerational transmission of knowledge is such a beautiful part of many indigenous cultures. How, how that's portrayed in pop culture maybe misses the mark quite a bit of the time, but it was a really special part of my childhood. I think part of what's challenging about the grandmother figure kind of to that end. So, you know, in Pocahontas, there's the tree, right? And we know what happens to trees during colonialism. English settlers cut them down, right? And That's dark, kind of, Allison. No, but, no, but I mean, I think part of like, you know, part of what what's important about what you're saying and kind of thinking about this grandmother is she is the one who seems to have the best perception of what's to come, right? Like she has the most astute understanding really of anyone, at least who's talking to Kaya openly about it. And I Mm -hmm. think when you're looking at it from that kind of colonial perspective, it is something very true in the American girl series that older people are sort of wise and powerless at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? Like they have this perception of what might come and older people carry a lot of that work in the different series, but then they're not necessarily the ones to show the way for how a young person might affect change, right? Like there aren't moments where, at least in that relationship, like we see that with swan circling, but we don't see that relationship as kind of um, 
like leading to, to revolutionary action, right? Like the grandmother, and that's true in, in other stories as well, but it's kind of like she knows, but what can she really change? Right. I think, is it Kaya's grandmother who has the smallpox scores? Yeah. 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 So she's already had these experiences. So her body is kind of a testament, right. To what's happening and what will happen. But it's interesting that they kind of use these older characters to be storytellers and to also kind of have a sense of foreboding. But when you're a young person, or even when you're our age now reading this book, it does kind of make you wonder like, well, how do you, how do you make a difference? And thankfully at least there is swan circling, right? There are people who are active and we see Kaya aspiring to be more like that. I will. This You mentioning Swan Circling in that way just reminds me that when I was reading the books the first time, I honestly, like, I assumed that Swan Circling was Two-Spirit. And they mentioned her husband. He's like, okay. Yes, 100%. I was, like, in shock at that reference. When they reference her husband existing, I was like, wait, excuse me? Yeah, it just doesn't no. work with my image of swan circling. So I think that she was probably two spirit and maybe her husband was too. Ooh. I just like that headcanon for myself. I like that too. Geez. Why aren't you working for American girl? (laughs) Why aren't you writing these short stories? Wow. I'm sorry. I need to apologize. I've never seen Pocahontas. So like, once again, I feel like people lay on me the plot of very well-known movies on this show. Someone else on a past episode, Leah told me about the plot of the boy in the um, striped pajamas, still not recovered from what that movie is allegedly about. And I'm sorry, but Pocahontas's grandma being a tree just took me out. I'm sorry. It's like the giving tree, but like gone even worse. And I just feel bad for Vanessa, um, Williams coming through this because I believe she's involved in the music and, you know, she's, I don't know. I don't, that's all I'm going to say. Save the best for last. It's a great song. I'm not taking feedback on that. And (laughs) Wow. That's, that's a whole lot, but I I take Allison's point. That's kind of like in these books, do you think that girls are supposed to read the books and one be called to some kind of sense of community and mutual aid or way of like doing some kind of work for the betterment of their community? And two, do the books give a direction or any kind of instruction on what that might look like? That's really interesting. So I think that one thing that I found really abrasive in reading the books was in the first episode where the children received the mutual punishment. Yes. And that may have been a practice in my community, but I don't know because we don't, we don't behave in that way any longer. Um, but for me, mutual aid is deeply tied to being indigenous. And I really love the parts of Kaya's books that point to that as a practice. So like the way that White Braids takes Kaya's sister um, is her name speaking rain? I've already forgotten. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that's a great point. And I just kind of wonder, I read an, a newspaper article from the, the year when Kaya was released and they took, um, a bunch of Kaya dolls to the Nez Perce community and went to a school and gave a bunch of Kaya dolls to a bunch of girls in the school who were like nine years old. And I think I just keep returning to that image of these girls collected in their school gym. And it's almost like a rally. And they're like, almost like Oprah, like you get a Kaya, you get a Kaya, everybody gets a Kaya today. When those girls brought the dolls home and the books, what were they supposed to take from that? And what did they actually take from that? Yeah, that's really an interesting question, right? Because I think mutual aid is 
because as I said before, like mutual aid is so deeply tied to indigeneity and caring for community and putting community first as part of yourself because community is part of yourself. I think um, I've often talked to people like, oh, indigenous people like put the community before themselves. But I think what they lose is that community is yourself and you are community. Hmm. Um, when I was working at this like after school program, I did a drive for dolls for the, the kids in the after school program, American Girl Dolls. And I was really fortunate to have a friend who went to the Children's Museum benefit sale to get the dolls. So we were able to afford it. And that was actually done in concert with one of the doll collecting communities, which was really one of like the highlights of my time in the collecting world. And I really felt that that type of mutual aid is important because play is such a critical part of childhood. And I think a lot of times when we think about how we're um, doing aid in communities, we're not thinking about needs beyond food or shelter, but needs like play are just as crucial to a child in their development. Yeah, so you're you're pretty humble about this, but I would say you have a pretty important place in the American girl collecting community, right? So like thinking about the way that that community is and frankly, some of the toxicity in some of the groups, right? Online, like what's that like for you to kind of be part of that community and to be someone that I think other people look to, right? Like you create really quality content and you make really beautiful custom material, but what's it like for you to be part of that community that frankly is not always a very positive or supportive place? Like it is not always the best community on the internet. It's really hard sometimes. I think I had this period where it's, it's happened actually several times throughout my history of the community. And I've been in the collecting community a, a little less than 20 years at this point um, where people have made Mariana dolls. And Mariana is the Pueblo character in Josefina's story. And Kachina are sacred beings represented by a doll type figure in Pueblo and Hopi culture. And because of that connection, in part, I believe that the doll of a Pueblo character is just really inappropriate. Um, and I, and because of that, I've even had pushback from people in my own community about why I've given my Kaya, my Dalkatiri Pueblo clothing. Hmm. So when people just make indigenous regalia for their dolls without understanding the meaning behind it, that that's the thing that really sets me off and it really upsets me. And I've tried over the years to like refine my responses where I'm not reacting out of the like anger that I feel, even though I definitely do feel angry when that happens. I feel like people are, see the world of the doll of Josefina and for example, or Kaya, and they really wanna play in that world. They wanna make that world come alive, but they don't understand. And AG hasn't necessarily done a great job of um, showing how indigenous people fit into those worlds and how playing Indian is a trope that is very negative and very damaging, especially, you know, now we're coming this summer upon all these discoveries of children's remains at residential boarding schools and playing Indian was something that we weren't allowed to do. It was, I think, 1978 that we were allowed to start practicing our religions openly. Um, So when I think about my own mom grew up at a time when her traditional religion was illegal to be part of, and, the, and because our worlds are so integrated with our spirituality, I think about each piece of our clothing is special. And those pieces of clothing were often criminalized 
So when I think about people, non-native people playing just kind of offhandedly and very, you know, not in a deep way with their dolls and that it really upsets me. So that's been my biggest struggle with the community. The toxicity, I think I can overlook a lot of the times because I think it's a lot of people who aren't the best at expressing themselves socially for whatever reason. Online environments allow people to be cruel and toxic in a way that they may not be in person. But for me, like defending my culture is the one thing that like, no, you can't come for my people in our tradition. I think that's honestly what's so hard about American Girl is kind of the empowerment to place yourself in a bigger story, but then also thinking about what you're saying, sometimes the brand inviting people into worlds that it's not their invitation to make. Right. Right. And I, I totally appreciate what you're saying because we've had similar conversations about people owning an Addy doll, right. And the challenges of a brand that has been centered on whiteness for a long time, encouraging young people to take ownership of a doll who is enslaved for part of her story. And I think part of the, the hope when we kind of went back through Kaya and we're starting to think about Kaya was wanting to know that a lot of the content or the material came from a board of people who were from a community, right? Kind of extending that invitation. But I do think some of that is undermined by having an author who is better known for a pioneer story. Yeah, it's a really strange choice. I would personally love to speak to Janet Shaw about it because I feel like Kirshen's stories were really influential to me in my childhood. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I have a friend who very vividly remembers Marta passing on the ship from Sweden. And she thought they buried Marta at sea. And I, and I had to be like, no, I remember the illustration of them carrying the coffin, like off from the riverboat. But, but for her, that memory is very primal. Mm -hmm. And people have really special relationships to these books, whether they be positive or negative. And those stories are really powerful. And when we invite children to play at with the story and take ownership of the story, then I think there can definitely be some missteps. Yeah. I think it's also complicated by the fact that you can buy a Kaya doll and then like the life of play that you invite your Kaya doll into is not necessarily something that's mediated by parents or caregivers or someone who might kind of step in and say like, well, you know, there's such a, the brand encourages you to map yourself on the dolls. Like we mentioned the Buzzfeed quiz of like, which doll are you and whatever, but there is a clear distinction of like, you are not a member of this community and how, in what ways has the brand kind of spoken to that or invited young kids to think about difference in a meaningful way? Um, it seems like that piece is somewhat lacking, um, and even perhaps in some adult collecting communities as well. Yeah, I think I've had some experiences that have been really challenging for me. There was a situation where um, a pattern maker created um, a pattern of traditional Pueblo clothing, not realizing it was sacred, or maybe she did realize it was sacred. We never had a conversation because when I called her on it and on her blog, she deleted everyone's comments <gasps> and even deleted the post itself. She said like she was defending herself because she believed she was making this pattern and that she would donate the proceeds from the pattern to some indigenous cause. But she ended up pulling the pattern. And I, and I remember telling her, like, you can still make a donation by selling some non-Indigenous pattern that you do have true ownership over. 
And it was really hard for me to see members of my community, doll collecting community that I trusted, kind of not see what I was trying to say about Indigenous intellectual property, which sounds so librarian, but it was painful for me. (laughs) I can only imagine. And I'm wondering kind of how do you take care of yourself in those moments when you're online and you're part of a community conversation, a community that has meant a great deal to you and people who have been your friends and allies don't understand or see what you're saying in that moment when it's a deeply personal issue. Yeah, I think because they have, for some people, clothing doesn't have that kind of meaning. It's not a religious item or a sacred item. So I just try to give myself compassion, but I'm also, you know, not afraid to say that I am very angry inside when that kind of thing happens. That's important. A lot of people are afraid to admit when they feel anger. And I think that's to the detriment of people's ability to have meaningful communication. I think productive anger is a great thing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm not going to produce any right now. So rest easy, both, Oh, good. you know, Allison and Colette, but, um, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think particularly women are very conditioned to push that down or to think that it's, it makes you less than if you feel feelings or emotions that are not just sort of like accommodating, um, or at least a performance of accommodation. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, I'm really lucky, really, it's a blessing to have the kinship collective in my life because there are a lot of times when we're infuriated and we support ourselves through that fury. And sometimes we just have to kind of stew in the fury and other times it's appropriate to take it and foment something powerful. And they've helped me kind of discern when the right moments are. And they're also really great because uh, they've made things for my dolls, which I love. What are some favorite items that you've received? Well, my friend Karina, who is actually on Project Runway, she was the winner of what? the American Girl Challenge. <laughs> yeah, she's a member of our collective, Karina Emmerich. And oh she my made my Kateri a ribbon skirt. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I really treasure that item, especially now that Karina uh, has just dra- dressed Deb Holland for the cover of In Style. So I feel like what? Kateri and Deb Holland both have pieces by Karina. And I feel very blessed to know her. Oh my God. I feel like I'm in an episode of Antiques Roadshow. Like, start <laughs> that with your life. Oh my God. That's amazing. And then my friend Regan, who's this incredible indigenous educator, um, they also have this Kaya doll, who's Lil Regan. I can't remember Regan's small version's name, but they have the same eyeliner. And my mom's actually making their doll uh, a ribbon skirt in their signature red and black. Wow. That's so awesome. Yeah. I love it. And I'm just so touched that my community, actually the first six months that I was part of the collective, I didn't tell them about my connection to the doll world. So I was so, I was embarrassed about it. Even though I'm not shy about it in other arenas of my life, it was such a meaningful place for me that I was almost afraid to say like, Hey, like I take dolls around for photo shoots all over the world and I have a blog. But everyone was so welcoming and they all love my dolls and they ask about them and it's great. That's something I wanted to, you bring up a really great point is something I wanted to ask you about, which is you spoke earlier before very eloquently about the value of play for children as like a basic, right? And I'm kind of wondering what play does for you as an adult, or if you want to speculate why it's meaningful and important for adults to still play. I think it's a way to reparent yourself because I think everybody has regrets about the way they were parented 
or most people do. And I see a lot of fellow collectors really getting a lot of joy out of it. And it's so fun. Like I was at Olympic National Park with Inky, who's my main doll, about a month ago. And I was hiking on the trail uh, to Mary Mirror Falls with my friends and all kinds of people were stopping us and just smiling at the dolls and kind of women nodding knowingly, kids, um, parents pointing out like, hey, there's an American Girl doll. And the girls would just kind of go like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I, I, I love the connection that I get from other people, um, whether it's, you know, admonishment or joy when I'm out in public with my dolls. I was at on Cape Cod near Truro and a little kid came up to me and said, is your doll real? Oh, <laughs> and it was the best question. I was like, yeah, my doll is real. And I don't know what that child meant by real in that moment, <laughs> but Inky was definitely real. Oh, wow. That's so powerful. Though the idea of like reparenting yourself. Wow. Whew, you just like made my head explode, but that's, <laughs> that's so true. And I think also just like as a source of joy, like that's so special and it's so needed, you know, for everybody, no matter your circumstance. It's so fun too. Like when I, I brought my dolls to Ukraine many times, so I go back and visit whenever I can. And my family there also love my dolls and my friends kind of think it's a little kooky to like take dolls out and <laughs> photograph them in public all around the city. Like in front of the Lenin statue and by the oh old God. Soviet amusement park, but I think it's fun. <laughs> so I don't really mind it anymore. And I think one question I get often from people in the collecting community is like, how come you're not scared? And at first I was scared, but now I'm, I'm happy to do it. I think what's so funny is when the brand started, you look at the old catalogs and it's literally dolls at a 90 degree angle, like sitting in an L shape. Yes. And now it's so interesting to see the fact that the brand has finally just kind of owned that the best content creators are their own fans. Right. Mm -hmm. So like spotlighting the work of people like Sydney Paulson, who's on Instagram as five hens and a cockatiel, like actually just using her work for the 35th relaunch, I think was so brilliant because she talks a lot about how these dolls are part of her art and part of who she is as an adult. And then just actually coming full circle and having the brand feature that as opposed to hiring a different commercial photographer, I think is really cool. I think Sydney is fantastic. One of my favorite I guess not really possession is digital. Uh, Sydney and I met up in New York a few years ago and she took photos of Inky and I was just like, oh my gosh, Inky's a model. Like she's, she's got these photos in Central Park with, um, with Sydney's doll Sperry and they're fantastic. And I think it's amazing that Sydney has really done that. I think particular, I'm a particular fan of Sydney's photos of Z in Seattle. I love them. They just make the dolls so alive. And Sydney and her mom have this incredible talent. I'm really happy they've shared it with the community. Yeah, when she started doing surfing photos, that's when I realized I had to pay a little bit more attention because I honestly... I would love to say, I don't know how she does it, but I look at all of her work and she actually shows you how she does it, which I think is even cooler because you see her and her mother and other times her father, like all kind of staging these amazing photos. And I love that she's very open that she doesn't just snap these shots. It takes her hours and hours. And I think like you're saying, it's kind of inviting people to say like, you too can take your doll or whatever it is. I just bought a steps high. So I think steps high might go outside at some point. Um, and it's like, you too can do this. And if it's something that you enjoy doing, you don't have to worry about what others think 
around you because you look at someone like her, her online following is amazing. Like she makes so many people happy. Yeah. I think she's a true source of joy. Absolutely. Her uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off montage was very impressive. Very impressive. She's so good at bringing those, these stories that are so deeply connected to our childhoods to life through dolls. And I love it. What are some other, you know, artists and makers in the community that you want to shout out or have people check out if they're new to it? Well, if I get a lot of questions about like how people's kayas can appropriately wear indigenous clothing or other dolls to wear indigenous clothing. So I have to shout out my friend, Christina, who has a little company called Good Medicine and she makes ribbon skirts and other and moccasins and other things for indigenous dolls. And I think they're stunning. She even is patient with me where I'm like, well, can you make one with this fabric? I'll like, I'll ship it to you on her reserve. And she makes beautiful clothing for dolls. Yeah, definitely. Christina. I love her work. Awesome. Well, I was just going to ask if you had any recommendations for further reading or side reading on all of these topics, whether it's Kaya or collecting or sharing your work online or anything like that. Well, I would say that don't, if you're a Kaya reader, reader, you have to read The Sea in Winter by Christine Day. It's a beautiful book about an indigenous girl who's recovering from a ballet injury and she's really grappling with big emotions in the same, not in the same way, but it's similar to the way Kaya does. She's dealing with reckoning with change. And I love that book. And I wish it was a book that had been available to me when I was a middle grade reader as an indigenous girl. Also ancestor approved um, intertribal stories for kids. That's a great one. And I also, you know, have to shout out Melinda Lowe. I'm really excited that you did an episode on her latest book on your Patreon, but I think that Ash is really a fantastic book for queer girls too. I just, I can't wait for the day when American Girl does the queer character, main character. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I don't know what is going on here. I just, something exciting. Something just crashed. I don't know if it was my neighbors upstairs. Let's hope it was. Sorry. I'm, I live in an apartment, apartment life. You know how it goes. Yeah. I'm a New Yorker. My neighbor like likes to vacuum at 10 PM at night on a weeknight, just casually because that's what everyone wants at 10 PM at night when you're winding down. I just felt something crash and I'm hoping it's upstairs. Do you have cats? I don't. My wife wishes we did, but we don't have cats at this time, but we're trying to, yeah, they're chaotic from what I've heard. My God cat. I do have a God cat, Raymond. He did not appear yet. (laughs) He's, he's actually right in front of the computer. You just can't see him. He's, he's off camera. Ray. (laughs) He's, he's, he's actually scared of the steps high. (laughs) So I have a story about my cat, Clarabelle. She, I keep all my dolls lined up on this, like, you know, one of those Ikea Expedite units. And she used to love to jump up there and knock every single doll down, like one after another. And I would wake up at night with like thump, 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 thump of all my dolls just like falling like dominoes. And she would just be up there looking so pleased with herself. Was she jealous? I'm sure. Ray has that kind of energy. Allison has a couch where she keeps her dolls and Ray tries to sit with them. You know, and it's fraught. I mean, I I don't know where this is going. Now I'm concerned that that's the next, that's the escalation that we're leading to. Ray's just going to push all these dolls off the couch. That's not quite the same level of fall. So I think that they'd be okay. I think they'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah. My cat Tucker really likes Inky's bed because she has a whole bedroom in the corner of my room. I love it. And 
her quilt is always covered in tucker fur and it's so irritating that sometimes I have to sacrifice uh, like a lower status doll to sit on the bed just to cover the quilt so he won't sit on it. Wow, what a time to be alive. Allison, are you just dropping that you have casually steps high there with you or <laughs> is it in I, uh, I do, I do have a steps high. So I got a steps high. I did a lot of shopping and I didn't realize that I had left a steps high in my shopping cart. And then finally just made, made the decision one day, partially because I wanted to be able to have something that could give like multiple characters adventures possibly, or just like a different, something different. You know, I've owned doll beds. I've owned all different kinds of like different accessories. So I thought, um, I've never owned one of the pets. So this would be something different. That's really fun. Steps High is a great one. I sold my Steps High in the neighborhood nice. at Starbucks. And nice. the person who bought Steps High texted me and said, how will I know which one is you? Oh and I God. said, I'll be the one with the horse. Yeah. Yeah. That, that'll that do it. That'll do it. So my wife likes to say that to me whenever I say something really oblivious. She said, Colette, I'll be the, I'll one, be with the, the one with the horse. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. Ah, yeah, but your recommendations are awesome. You hopefully could see me writing all of them down. Um, Melinda Lowe is incredible. If you've not had a chance to catch our Patreon episode on the last Telegraph Club, um, do check that book out. It's really good, as is all of her work. Thanks for pointing, reminding us that of that as well. Yeah, I think that we're really lucky to be living at a time where there's like um, LGBT lit for kids and young adults. I think not to knock Annie on my mind, but that was really all that was available to me that was when great. I was coming out. Although now, whenever I go to the Met, I'm always like, I wish someone would kiss me under the choir screen. Oh my God. <laughs> you just have to tell your wife, you'll be the one with the horse. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Or the one with the inky, right? I mean, whichever, Photo you know, shoot. whichever one fits that particular day. Oh my yeah, God. I've taken Inky to the Met many times, but I never got her with the choir screen because it's so big. It just like doesn't work. No, you have to know your scale, whether you're 18 inches or 59 <laughs> inches. In my case, you have to know. <laughs> wow. You got to know your angles. You got to know your scale. Now, Colette, if people want to follow you, I know that you have a few different places where you post and you share uh, online. If people wanted to do that, what would be the best place to find your work? So I'm at Inky Marina on Instagram and blog.inkymarina.com on the web. There's also a Junior Ranger blog just about Inky's adventures in the National Park Service. And that's juniorranger.inkymarina.com. Oh my God. Iconic. Yeah. Wow. Big Inky fan. I knew about Inky before I knew that you were part of this fandom. Oh, that's funny. I actually was at American Girl Place, the old one. And one of the photographers at American Girl Place came up to me and I was like, oh my God, is that Inky? Oh my God, celeb sighting. I know, it was the first time like that I'd been recognized and it wasn't even me. Did Inky play it cool or, I mean, how'd they handle it? I think Inky was pretty chill. I think she's pretty used to notoriety at this point. <laughs> I used to have this like ridiculous series on her blog when it was still on LiveJournal where I put tinfoil around her wrist around her hand and call the inky's iron fist into a smash things related to capitalism <laughs> but then i realized my audience and like kind of let that one die down wow well i mean maybe that that's part of the ukraine piece like perhaps mm -hmm. the lenin statue like you know that's of a piece like that kind of goes together 
It does. Wow. I had a friend repost uh, one of my Inky and Ukraine photo stories in a collecting community she belonged to, and she was told to take it down because the Lenin statue was too political. <laughs> my God. Listen, Inky doesn't wow. shy away from that. That's what you have to accept. It's true. And Inky's indigenous too, which a lot of people think like the number four, most people make her East Asian. Inky's also East Asian. She's Nanai. She's from the indigenous group on the Amwar River. And she's very proud of that. Don't try to box Inky in. Don't try to tell her she can't post the Lennon statue. That's true. She's currently face down in a laundry basket, but I'm sure she would be thrilled to, to beat you too. <laughs> I mean, face down in a laundry basket, that feels like some real 2021 cosplay. So it feels like once again, she is, you know, captured the moment and <laughs> is speaking to our times. It's true. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your talents with us. Before we go, one last thing, we do make recommendations of pop culture, things we enjoy. Do you have anything you think our listeners might enjoy? Um, I think, well, I have to say I'm really enjoying Fiona Apple's Renaissance. Uh, it's impossible was, not to. Yeah, she was my go-to in high school. And now that she's come back, I'm just like very thrilled with that. Even though it's already been a year, I would recommend revisiting her entire, you know, discography. Yes. And, you know, I've gone on a journey with her because I had to forgive her for that criminal video, not being an accurate depiction of what high school would be like. Um, <laughs> but you didn't ride around naked with your friends. No, tragically not. That did not happen to me. Also dare similar way. Like nothing happened in high school that dare prepared me for like no one offered Allison and I like literally anything like nothing anyway. Um, but Fiona Apple's album is awesome. So yeah, her entire discography is amazing. She is truly something that's a great wreck. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. This has been such an awesome conversation. We really appreciate you taking up time to be with us. Yeah. Thank you both. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much to our guest Colette once again for sharing all of her time and talents with us. Please check out her work at Inky Marina on Instagram. You can find me at Mary Mahoney123 on Twitter and at Mimi Mahoney on Instagram. I love hearing from everybody. I so love the conversations that I get to have with this really great community. You can follow Allison at Allison Horrocks on both Instagram and Twitter. You can follow the show at American Girls Pod on Instagram and at A Girls Pod on Twitter. Um, you can find us at www.americangirlspod.com where you can check out past episodes, um, visit our merch store where we're also featuring art by some of you, some of our wonderfully talented listeners. We do so appreciate everyone who's contributed to the show, everyone who subscribes to the Patreon, and everyone who just listens and tells a friend to check it out. We so appreciate you. We hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.